that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. I wrote unto the church, but Diostrophes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Demetrius hath good report of all men, and of the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee, but I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee. Our friends salute thee. Greet the friends by name. Amen. And let's pray. Father, we do thank you um, for your word. Uh, we thank you that you have spoken to us, and uh, we do thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that helps us to understand uh, the scriptures. And I, I do pray that, um, that we would be granted uh, the gift of illumination tonight. Help us to understand what's written and then help us to apply uh, the word that you have for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in the early stages of the church, uh, the role of itinerant preacher was integral to the advancement and strengthening of the church. An itinerant preacher would not stay in one place like a pastor. You know, I stay in Condal Park, I preach here every week. But rather, an itinerant preacher would be sent out by a church, especially by bigger churches, such as Jerusalem. And they would travel from location to location, either establishing new churches or encouraging and strengthening existing churches. And what would often happen is that some of the apostles or other leaders would, would train men up. So they would do like a basic theology and preaching course. And then they would be sent out to proclaim the word of God. Now these itinerant preachers would rely on the hospitality and provision of other Christians. So if preacher Pedro went to town, okay, there were not motels or caravan parks like today. And even if, they, even if they existed, they couldn't afford it. So they would need someone to accommodate them in their home. They would need someone to provide them with food and hopefully send them on to the next town with a packed lunch. So they, and then they would preach. Okay, and then in the next town, the preacher would repeat the process. So the advancement of the early church depended a lot on the hospitality and the generosity of the saints. But there were some issues because there were many itinerant preachers. This wasn't restricted just to Christianity. So other religions had the same practice. And then there were also false teachers who would employ the same means. And hence there were many who would abuse the generosity of Christians and would end up making significant money bouncing from town to town pretending to be a faithful servant of the Lord who desperately needed money to continue the Lord's work. You know, probably similar to how some of these televangelists act today. Now, what's interesting in what's called the Didache, okay, the Didache was not inspired, but it functioned as a first century church manual. And it contains specific instructions about extending hospitality to these itinerant preachers 
and it reveals that there was definite abuse. Okay, I have this on your outline sheet. It said this, okay, an apostle may not stay beyond one day or in case of necessity two. If he stays three days, he is a false prophet. On departing, he may receive enough food to last him his journey, but if he asks for money, he is a false prophet. Again, if a prophet, apparently speaking under the inspiration of the Spirit, says, give me money or something else, he is not to be heeded unless the money is for others in need. It is recognized that true prophets have a right to stay and be supported, but an ordinary Christian traveler must not be entertained free for more than two or three days. If he wants to settle, he must work for his living. If he refuses to do this, he is trading on Christ. Okay, so this is contained in, in a manual that they used in the church. So this reveals that the common function and place of itinerant preachers in the early church. And it also unveils that the church had to be incredibly discerning when it come to who they had stay in their homes and preach from their pulpits. Because there were many who were false teachers and there were many who were just thieves. Okay, they were using the Lord as a disguise to rob people blind and it is this issue that both second john and third john confront okay second john contains strong warnings about not showing hospitality to false teachers okay verse 10 in second john says if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine receive him not into your house neither bid him god speak so if one was not teaching the doctrine of Christ, so if they were proclaiming a false gospel, Christians were not to open their homes, that they were not to provide resources to enable them to continue on their way. Because if they did that, they were enabling false doctrine to be strengthened and spread. Okay, they would be strengthening the enemy, assisting the opposition. It would be like giving your coach's game plan to the opposition or revealing to the opposing army your general's plan of attack. You wouldn't assist the enemy in that way. And hence the early church is exhorted to not assist false teachers. But in 3 John, the issue is that hospitality and support needed to be extended to genuine preachers and teachers. So unfortunately, they were not always receiving the assistance that they required. And perhaps due to these imposters, okay, the false teachers, people thought, well, hey, I'm going to be ultra conservative. I'm going to be very safe and I'm going to have nothing to do with visiting preachers. Okay, they didn't want to risk getting deceived or perhaps some were once bitten, twice shy. Okay, they'd been swindled once by a false teacher and they resolved, I'm never going to be fleeced again. So they shut and bolt the door to all preachers. Okay, that's possible. And then we're introduced to gentlemen like Diostrophes. Okay, we'll meet him next week. Uh, but he refused all visiting preachers because he didn't want to share the limelight. Okay, he loved being center of attention. He was the main man. And he also forbid others from extending hospitality. And hence there were some preachers who had been sent by John who had not been well received. And this is the historical context and setting that motivated the writing of this particular epistle. In fact, John seemed to have three, cons three concerns in mind 
in this epistle, and they all center around this topic of hospitality. So the first, okay, he was writing to confront the denial of support by Diostrophes and others. Number two, he seemed to be concerned that Gaius may be pressured and influenced by the negative actions of Diostrophes. And number three, he needed to secure the help of Gaius to support the itinerant preachers that he was planning to send in the future. So, so that's the original intention of this epistle. Now what John is doing in verses 5 to 8 is complimenting Gaius for his previous hospitality and then he's encouraging him to continue to do it into the future. Okay, notice verse 5 begins, Beloved. So as we saw last week that there is love, there is care for Gaius. And then the Apostle John goes on to give a sanctified compliment. Okay, he praises Gaius for his faithfulness, for his commitments in caring for the itinerant preachers. You'll notice that the phrase, thou doest, it occurs twice in this verse. It's actually a different Greek word. And the second word speaks of labor or work. Okay, so, so John is saying, you have been incredibly faithful in your labors to care and provide for these itinerant preachers. And the verse closes with the word strangers. And the structure of the sentence is this, brethren who were strangers. Okay, it's not speaking of two different classes, but brethren who were strangers. So in other words, these preachers that he had in his home, these were not his friends from seminary. Okay, they weren't childhood friends. But these were men that he'd never met, and yet he generously opened his home and met their needs. Okay, he had enabled their ministry by meeting their physical needs, and this was a vital ministry. And it's instructive for us to notice that John extends a compliment. Okay, he praises the faithful ministry of Gaius, okay, and we would all do well to follow this lead. Okay, we ought not to be stingy in giving compliments and expressing thankfulness. And yet sometimes I think we're far too slow to extend a sanctified compliment. Okay, now I'm not talking about flattery. I'm not talking about buttering someone up so you can get something from them, nor am I talking about just pumping up someone's ego. Okay, but we ought to be in the business of encouraging others. And one of the best ways to do that is by thanking them and expressing gratitude for their ministry, praising a job well done, that that shouldn't be foreign to us. And likewise, we also need to receive it well and not just brush it aside. I, I know I can be guilty of that. Someone will say something and I'm like, I don't know how to respond now. I don't want to come across proud and I can just, you know, push it aside. You know, perhaps you can relate to that. Or there is another extreme someone tells us something and it makes our head grow you know our egos get pumped up so there's definite dangers but we need to understand this that the well-timed encouragement the sincere compliment can really breathe life into a soul have you ever felt like and metaphorically you're on the canvas you've been whacked by some pretty heavy punches but then a compliment an encouraging remark comes expressing appreciation and it helps you get up and continue. Okay? It gives you life. Okay? We, we all need this. And hence, may we all be, be generous in giving sincere 
compliments just like the Apostle John does in the text. Now the Apostle goes on in verse 6 and he explains how he is aware of this generous hospitality. Okay, how does he know that Gaius had extended such care? Well, as it turns out, many people were actually aware of it. The Gaius was more famous than he realized because these preachers had informed the church about the great love extended to them by Gaius. If you notice verse 6, it says, Which have borne witness of thy charity before the church. Okay, so they, they had told the church, they had testified of Gaius's grace and generosity. And then John continues, okay, he encourages Gaius to keep up the good work. Verse 6 concludes, thou shalt do well. Okay, this is in the future tense. And what proceeds is that Gaius is exhorted to extend hospitality to those itinerant preachers who would come in the future. Okay, Gaius, keep doing this. Okay, and he's encouraged to do this, that the phrase is, in a godly sort. Okay, and what this means is to do it in a way worthy of God. Okay, so this stresses that this was being done for the Lord, okay, but also that the sense is treat them if it was like they are Jesus himself. Okay, tr treat them as if Jesus himself is staying in your home. And John's saying, you know, guys, you've done this before. Continue to do this good work. Don't give up on this vital ministry. Keep going. Okay, you're doing a wonderful thing for the Lord. Okay, don't get influenced. Don't get dragged away by diostrophes. We desperately need you to continue to do this work. These preachers, they need a roof over their head. They need food in their bellies. They need some money in their pockets. They need encouragement for you. You're doing a great work. Don't give up. And then John gives some reasons as to why Gaius and why others should support these preachers. And these reasons are found in verses 7 to 8. Okay, and this argues why this is such an essential ministry. So I hope you've got a basic sense and grasp of the text. Okay, you, you understand the big idea and the flow of the argument. And what I'd like to, to now do is to draw out four lessons about missions. Okay, this text is all about missionary work in the early church. And it has much to offer that needs to shape and govern how we think about missions and how we do missions as a church. Okay, so four lessons from the text about missions. The first lesson is this. Missionaries are to be sent and be accountable to a local church. Okay, in Christian missions, lone rangers who are accountable to nobody should be shunned. Okay, and when I'm talking about missionaries here, I'm not talking about our personal obligation to share Christ. Okay, I'm talking about okay, missionaries in the sense of we support these missionaries. Okay, so a Christian missionary isn't a self-representative. Okay, they're not like an independent member in parliament. But rather the biblical model is that a missionary is sent out by a church and accountable to the church. Okay, and this comes out in verse 6. They gave a report to the church. So they inform the church about their ministry. 
And they mentioned particularly the love that Gaius had shown to them. But the fact that they reported to the church at least implies that they were sent forth by this church and that there was a level of accountability. Now, it's very interesting that with the Apostle Paul, the greatest ever missionary, guess what? He was sent out by a church and he reported back to that church. Okay, in Acts chapter 13, okay, the leaders of the church at Antioch, they had been praying about sending Paul and Barnabas and the Holy Spirit made it clear to them that this was the will of God. And verse 3 of Acts 13 says, And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Okay, so the church sent them out. And then in Acts 14, at the end of this particular missionary journey, verse 27 says this, And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. So again, he, Paul, and also Barnabas, they share everything with the church. Okay, this implies there is a level of accountability. And this teaches us at least two things. Number one, missionaries don't send themselves. Okay, one should be sent by a church, or in the times that we live, at least a missionary board or agency. Because someone can't self-determine accurately that they are gifted, that they are called, and that they are suitable, and then just go. Okay? Missionary work isn't like the business world where you sense a unique niche or need, so you just go and open your own business. But rather, a missionary needs the stamp of approval of the local church. Okay? They need that approval that they are spiritual people, that they are gifted, that they are suitable. Okay, and the church okay, needs to be willing to, to stamp their missionary passport, so to speak. So missionaries should be sent by a church and accountable to that church. And then number two, local churches need to send missionaries. Okay, if missionaries are sent by churches, which is the point I've argued, then that means the church has a responsibility to send missionaries. And I think this is something that we need to be thinking and praying about seriously as a church. Okay, that the need for us as a church to send out our own missionaries. So that's lesson number one. Missionaries are to be sent and accountable to a local church. Lesson number two, the worthy cause of missions. Okay, the worthy cause of missions. Okay, we will be more inclined to support something if we believe in the cause, and even more so if we are personally affected by that cause. You know, let's say a couple gets married, okay, and they've never given a donation to the Blind Dog Association, but then they have a blind child, and a dog is supplied, and they see the great impact that this dog has on their child. Guess what happens? They now support the Blind Dog Foundation generously because they believe in the cause and they are personally impacted. You know, in the text, as John is seeking to encourage Gaius to continue to support these preaching missionaries, one argument he presents is the cause or, or the mission of these preachers. So when it comes to missions, what is the cause? Okay, what, what are they engaged in? As missionaries, well, look at verse 7. It says, because that for his name's sake, they went forth. 
Okay, this is the only mention of Jesus in the epistle. And even here, it's not mentioned explicitly. Okay, but it was Jesus' name that they were proclaiming. Okay, it was for Jesus' sake that they went out. So that reveals the motive of missions. Okay, they did this for Jesus. That there was no crooked motives. Okay, they weren't doing this for money. They weren't doing this for personal glory. It's all for Christ. Okay, it's fueled by a love for him. And that should be the motive of all Christian service. Okay, but here were these men. They were so moved by the grace of God that had been lavished upon them that they had to tell others. Okay, so that was the motive. But more than this, it was the cause. Okay, that they were sharing and spreading the name of Jesus. This was their task. This was the job description. To shine the light of Jesus into dark communities. To, to share the good news that Jesus saves sinners. This was the mission. That they wanted others to experience salvation from sin like they had. They wanted others to hear the good news of the gospel. Okay, this was the cause that they were engaged in as missionaries. And this is why Gaius is urged to continue his support because there's no cause so noble. And this is the cause that all missionaries are invested in. Okay, they're pursuing the cause of Christ. They're seeking to advance God's kingdom, seeking to share the gospel with the lost, seeking to be an instrument that God uses to rescue souls from hell's fire and being used to establish churches and disciple others. And my friend, there's no cause more worthy than that in the world. Okay, reaching others with the gospel especially those who have never heard, there's no cause so urgent. That there's no cause so necessary, there's no cause so significant, there's no cause with such lasting ramifications. Okay, and if we truly believe that in our hearts, okay, we will be willing to be missionaries both in our community and also elsewhere if God leads. Okay, but if we believe this, we will also support missionaries wholeheartedly. Because there's no cause as worthy as missions, both locally and abroad. So that's lesson number two. Lesson number three, Christians have an obligation to support missionaries. So John, in continuing to offer encouraging reasons why Gaius should continue to extend the support to the itinerant preachers, and why others like Diostrophes should stop refusing to support them is that they are not taking support from the gentiles okay we, we read of this in verse 7 it says because that for his name's sake they went forth taking nothing of the gentiles okay the use of the word gentiles means okay the unsaved the world okay the world were not supporting these preachers now this could mean that they refused support Okay, they, they refused to take anything from the world. And it could be that they didn't want to be accused of doing this for money. That they didn't want to be regarded as the same as false teachers who are known for greed. So it could be that they didn't want to have any potential stumbling block. That they wanted nothing to hinder the spread of the gospel. Could be that. But it seems more likely that, that the point that's being made, it, it's quite simple. We can't expect the world... To fund our mission. Okay, we can't expect the world to fund our mission. Why would the world fund missionaries? Why would they do that? They wouldn't. 
They aren't, and nor should we expect them to. And if the world's not doing it, how do these preachers get supported? Well, the answer comes in verse 8. John says, you know, it's up to us. In his context, Gaius, it's up to you. It's up to other Christians to support these itinerant preachers, and we have an obligation. Notice he uses the word ought, and this word was often used of a debt owed. Okay, when you owe a debt to someone, you have obligations to make repayments. And by extension, we as Christians have an obligation. We have a duty to support missionaries. Okay, and we ought to support, this is in the present tense. So this is ongoing, this is a continual obligation to support them. So how can missionaries go if we won't fund them? How can they stay if we won't fund them? Okay, and this is something that we need to think about very seriously in the West because we live in one of the most affluent times in history. Okay, in Australia, we're materially blessed. And the obligation to fund the advancement of the gospel, that hasn't ceased. Okay, we have a duty because if we as Christians won't fund our mission, who will? Okay, we can't expect the world to support Christian missionaries. The Australian government's not going to support our missionaries. Christians need to support Christian missionaries. Okay, we have an obligation to do this. That's lesson three. And lesson number four is we can partner with missionaries. Now, the Apostle John saves the best motivation until last. And he's saying, you Gaius, I encourage you to continue to extend hospitality to these preachers because when you do, verse 8, you are being a fellow helper to the truth. And that's an amazing statement. The apostle is saying, Gaius, as you provide accommodation for these preachers, as you give them food, as you give them a little money, as you encourage, as you pray for them, you're actually partnering with them. Because you're enabling them to do the work of the ministry. Gaius, you're actually playing a key role. This is a partnership. And the Greek word used here, translated fellow helper, is one that Paul used regularly throughout his epistles to identify those who are ministering with him. Those who are in the trenches, if you like. You know, greetings from Paul and, and Timotheus, my fellow helper. So he's, he's, John's saying here that, Gaius was side by side with these men as he supported them practically. And this is not an idea that's unique to John. The Apostle Paul taught this exact same thing. comes out very clearly in Philippians chapter 1. Okay, in verse 5, he talks about fellowship or partnership in the gospel. And then when you go to the fourth chapter in Philippians, we see that's about financial support. So as financial support was Given you were partnering with someone else in advancing the gospel. Okay, and this, this is amazing. Okay, let, let's think about this. As you pray for a missionary, as you give money to them, as you write them an encouraging email, okay, as you extend this kind assistance, it's as though you are with them side by side in the mission field. Okay, isn't that amazing? Okay, it, it's like we are walking the streets with... Brother Samir handing out tracts. 
Okay, it's like we're with G.S. Nair in India as he oversees this incredible ministry. It's like we're in the, the Bible College classroom with Brother Chris Dagan. It's like we're going with the Herringsons to Mauritius. That's the beauty of investing in God's work. Both, both here in our church, in our country, and also throughout the world. And there's no greater investment to make than in God's kingdom. Okay, and as you do this, okay, you're partnering with that missionary or with that preacher. And this is actually how we as individuals and we as a church can fulfill the Great Commission. Take the gospel into the whole world. How do we do that? I can only be in one place at one time, as can you. Okay, we can't go everywhere. We, we can't do everything ourselves, but we can pray for a lot of people. We, we can encourage people. We, we can help some financially. And as we do this, we're partnering with them. It's as though we are with them side by side. Okay, as the famous story goes, okay, the missionaries are in the pit. But we need to hold the rope for them. And this is our great privilege as we support missionaries. We partner with them as we support them. And hence we have okay, a real part that we're playing in their ministry. Okay, the missionaries that we support, we are playing a role in that ministry. And that's really encouraging. Because not everybody can go as a missionary. I think more can. But not everybody is able. God's providence right now has you here in Sydney, working in your job. It, you're in this church, and that's great. But you can still support missionaries and partner with them, even if you can't physically go. Okay, you, you can still be with them in the trenches spiritually. You can partner with them in prayer and giving and have a real involvement and impact in their ministry for God's glory. That is our tremendous privilege as we support missionaries in our church. So I want to encourage you, okay, continue to partner with missionaries. Okay, continue to enable them to share the gospel with every living creature. Help them spread the name of Christ. Continue to be faithful in holding the ropes. Continue to pray. Continue to give. Okay, and as you do this, remember you are partnering with them. You're fulfilling a vital role in, in the advancement of God's work. So, so keep it up. Keep it up. That's the encouraging message. But perhaps for some of us, it's time to increase the support. It's time to have a greater partnership. It's time to pray more. Maybe even give more. Perhaps this is you. And, you know, let me encourage you, you won't find a more worthwhile investment. Okay, investing in God's kingdom has the greatest dividends, both now and in eternity. And as you invest, okay, you're partnering with missionaries. Okay, that's a tremendous privilege. And may we as individuals, may we as a church, continue to support and partner missionaries. May, may, may we grow in our support. Because this is how the Great Commission is accomplished and we have a part to play. All for God's glory. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I do thank you um, for missionaries. And I thank you for those that uh, we have the privilege to support uh, as a church. Uh, we have a great uh, privilege to be able to partner with them.
and uh, Lord, I, I do pray that uh, you, you would help us to be thinking uh, biblically uh, about missions, help us to be uh, encouraged uh, with the role uh, that we can play. And uh, Lord, maybe for, for some of us, we, we need to increase uh, our involvement. If that's the case, please you know, grant to us the grace that we need to do that. And uh, Lord, as we go our separate ways, help us to not uh, neglect the fact that we too are called to be missionaries in our local community, uh, in our local workplace, uh, in our neighbourhoods. Please help us to be diligent um, in, in that task as well. Please keep us safe as we travel home, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.